Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. Jesus, we thank you that you are here meeting with us, that your, that your presence is so real here in this place. And I pray that anyone that, that has yet to experience that, God, this morning, that you would just invade them now with your hope and your light and your freedom, God, that this would be a space where you are tangibly experienced. God, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your freedom, God, that you so um, generously give. And we respond with that, with love and compassion and submission and service today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we started two weeks ago this series uh, on the fruit of the Spirit. And if that's like a new word for you or that's something that you're unfamiliar with, it comes from this passage in the scriptures where this guy, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was talking around, around what it looks like to walk in connection with the Spirit of God. And he contrasts it to what it looks like to walk what he calls it in our own flesh or like what we see uh, is right in our own eyes. And he says, look, when you walk in connection with the voice of God, when your life is rooted in his spirit and you are following him in a really new way, he says, this is the fruit that comes of it. It says this in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. During the last few weeks, uh, I don't know if it's in like prep for this, this conversation that we've been in or if it's just that time of year, but I've been in the garden a lot. And uh, I've, been, I've been trimming down grapevines and I've been doing things with roses and I've been out transplanting trees this week. In fact, we had this mandarin tree that I purchased years ago and planted right next to our fire pit area and it was this nice little tree. And then we made the stupid decision of planting bougainvillea right next to the mandarin tree. And over the last three years, the mandarin tree has grown, but it is now surrounded by bougainvillea. And so uh, I, on Saturday, am out in the backyard, literally like pulling my way through bougainvillea and like scratching myself up. And my kids are like, what are you doing, dad? But I'm in there with a shovel because I'm going to transplant this mandarin tree into this huge pot that we purchased. And so I'm in there like digging out this mandarin tree and its roots are really established. And I'm like pulling the thing out. I finally get it out. And there's this pot that we have. And I put the tree into the pot and I realize its roots don't fit in the pot. So I decided that I'm going to prune the roots, right? I'm just like cutting around the roots and I put the thing in the pot. It's enough. It's a big pot, enough, big enough pot for the tree. So I put it in there, put the dirt on, put the water in. Everything's good. It's looking good. And I come out about three hours later and all of its leaves are just dead. I mean, just like completely dead. 
And you know, me like being an eternal optimist was like, well, maybe, maybe it's just in shock, right? Maybe it just needs some time. Don't we all need some time when we be transplanted? And every day I go out and I think, no, it's just sad, you know, it'll come back. And yesterday, I finally just gave in to the reality of, I have killed the mandarin tree. And I went out yesterday, I plucked the last little little cuties that we got from the tree, I put them in the fridge, and probably this afternoon we'll have a funeral for the mandarin tree. But here's the thing, that mandarin tree died, and it will no longer ever, ever produce fruit for us, not because it isn't trying hard to produce fruit, right? It's not mad at me because of what I did, it's not like saying, I'm here, it's not gonna ever produce fruit because I jacked up its roots, right? <laughs> I decided that I was going to prune its roots, and now it has no way to get the nutrients it needs to produce whatever is coming out from there. See, here's the thing. When our roots are connected to the Spirit, when our heart, our mind, our soul are connected, abiding in Him, we naturally produce fruit just like that mandarin tree. When our roots, when our connection, when our abiding gets jacked up, we no longer produce fruit. When we are disconnected, the fruit doesn't come. And look, that mandarin tree doesn't need to like try harder. It doesn't need like a mandarin coach. It doesn't need to have someone come along and give it a nice pep talk. It doesn't need to give itself affirmations in the morning. It's dead, right? Because its roots have been disconnected from the source. And in the same way, when our roots get disconnected, we're unable to produce the fruit that we long for. In the same way that healthy apple trees produce apples in the right environment, our souls naturally produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When we are connected and abiding in the spirit, this is the natural byproduct that happens when we are connected by the spirit. And last week, Scott talked to us around what it looks like to produce this fruit of love in our lives. By the way, it's just awe fruit of the Spirit. So what Scott was talking about was awe aspect of this fruit. And today we're going to talk about this next aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. When my book came out two years ago, my marketing, my marketing team, which sounds like such a bougie sentence to start out with, my marketing team asked me to talk to 20 people. And the question that I needed to ask 20 people was, would you give me a list of adjectives that describe me? Because they basically needed to know, needed to know what, what, what's the message that Nathan naturally puts out to the world so we can market around that. And so if you ever want to like feel extremely naked, ask 20 of your friends, please send me words that describe me, right? And so I put it out there and I start getting emails back. I start getting text messages back from people. And I got all these really encouraging words that I, that I wanted to get, that I was hoping to get. Things like inspiring or passionate or leadership or powerful. I was like, yes, all of these are awesome, market that. But there was this one word that kept coming up on all of them that I just, it, it made me cringe every single time that I saw it for some reason. And the word was joyful. Because I don't know about you, but joyful, it feels like it lacks power, right? Like, like if, if someone's like inspiring, passionate leader or joyful, right? There's a difference between the two of them. And I, and I just kept wanting to dismiss this joyful adjective that kept coming up because it felt like it didn't have a lot of depth to it. I mean, do you ever find yourself suspicious of really joyful people? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like my dad is probably one of the most joyful human beings on the planet. If you know my dad, he is just, he is always smiling, always laughing. He has just the, the most uh, optimistic outlook on the planet. And growing up constantly, the number one question I got from people was, 
is that real? Like, is he always that joyful? Of course, to which I said, absolutely not. But, but people were so suspicious of his joy. And when you get around people who are like overly joyful, like always, hey, life's beautiful. I'm excited to be here. Isn't this wonderful? There's this sense of like, is that real? Or is this the front for something? Like, do they go home and drink a lot? Or do they go home and abuse someone? Because this cannot be real here in the middle. We assume that it's a cover for something. Strangely, enough that, that when we find people who are like super depressed, we're like, oh, that's, that's real deep. That's real, right? When someone's like, like filled with anxiety or angst or melancholy, we're like, man, they're just having like a real deep human experience. No one ever questions if someone's angry, like, is that a front for something? Are they really actually joyful and they're trying to hide it with all this anger? It's interesting that we assume that things like depression and anxiety and hopelessness and angst and, and apathy and anger are like real human experiences. But the second someone is just joyful, we're like, that can't be real. That, that couldn't be possible in that. And yet we're told over and over and over again that if you're connected to the spirit, then a defining characteristic of your life will be joy. That they are, that, that, that actually, according to the scriptures, that joy may actually be a more real human experience than any other emotion that we experience here on this planet. And I love how Jesus talks about joy in so many different ways. There's so many passages about joy. In fact, doing, preparing for this talk was a little difficult because you could go a number of different places, but I thought we'd stick with the natural metaphors here. And in John chapter 15, Jesus says this to us. He says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, and ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. About three weeks ago, in preparation for this series, I thought, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go out and prune all my roses. I just thought, you know, this was something fun on a Saturday to do. So I, I have a friend, her name's Jean Marie, and she is like the master of roses. You go into her backyard, it's just like multiple rose gardens, all kinds of colors, and she, she knows what region of, of England this one came from and what, what part of Italy this rose came from. And every year she's trying to tell me how to prune my roses. And so this year I thought, I'm gonna go prove her right here. You know, I'm gonna go show her how much I, I, I have taken in her, her lesson. So I get my pruners out, and, I, and if you ever prune something, it feels a little awkward because you're cutting off a lot of good stuff. I'm going through and I'm pruning it and her words kept echoing in my head, when you feel like you've cut off too much, just cut off a little more. And I'm just like, every snip, I'm like, ah, right? Because I'm thinking, this, there's no way this is gonna grow back. And I got that thing down to like a little nub and I was so proud of myself. And then 
the next week she came into town and she, as we're pulling up into the driveway, have you, ever, you know, like when you're, you're, you're like so proud that someone notices something and I'm waiting for her to notice and, and, and I'm expecting her to be like, oh, look, you pruned your roses. That's so awesome. And as we're pulling into the driveway, she says, why haven't you pruned your roses yet? I'm like, are you freaking kidding me, right? <laughs> I was like, I thought I did a good job here. And so she goes into the garage and said, give me your pruners. And she comes to these roads and she starts hacking away at these things. I mean, I'm just like, please stop, please stop, please stop. And then she goes for my Disneyland rose, which that's like, that is like the pr- crown jewel of our front yard. And she starts hacking away at it. I, the, I'm just sitting there going, okay, that rose was this much money. If we save some money, we could buy another one. And, and she gets those things down to nubs. I mean, like, nub. there's like a stick hanging out of the ground. And I'm like, okay. And she just said, trust the process here. See, what Jesus talks about here, he says, if you are connected to God, the one thing that he will do in your life, if you are abiding in him, is he will prune your life. That's fun, isn't it? <laughs> Is that he will take out his shears and he will actually remove anything in your life that is fruitless, that is purposeless, that is dead, that is no longer working. He will remove attitudes that aren't going to serve you. He will remove behaviors that are no longer going to move you into the future. He will take circumstances out of your lives. He will remove lies that you have believed. He will take away all the ways that you have been relating to your past. He will just start snipping through that. He will go through your life with his spiritual pruning shears. But here's the thing that he will also do is at times he will also remove the good stuff to make room for what the new thing that he's doing is. He will start cutting out all the stuff that's like actually working because he's like, look, this this has been working this year, but it's not gonna work for where I'm taking you next. And so he starts pruning all kinds of things in your life. And here's the thing, the end result is actually awesome because who doesn't want a life filled with fruit? See, this week, As I went outside, I paused, I looked at the roses, and guess what? There's literally like 50 new vines coming out of them. Little red, red shoots coming out all over. And I'm like, all right, we're gonna be okay. In fact, I'm all excited because I'm like, maybe we're gonna have even better roses this year because of this. Everyone loves the end result of the pruning, but no one likes the cut, right? No one likes the removal process. No one likes the part where where we have things removed from us because one, at times when God removes the good thing, it's painful. Because we're like, wait, 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 this is working. This, this, is, this is okay, everything's fine. Don't mess with the stasis that I've developed in my marriage, in my relationships, in my career, in my finances. Don't mess with that, it's working. And he's saying, no, 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 it's, I know it's working, but it's not gonna work for where we're headed. And then he takes away the things that we have been holding on to that give us pleasure or keep us comfortable or keep us preoccupied. All the little hurts and habits and hang-ups that we find ourselves in, and he starts cutting away at them, and it becomes scary because we think, who am I without this addiction? Or who am I without this thing that, that makes me comfortable? Or who am I without this way of relating to the world around me? And it requires an immense amount of trust in a God that comes at you with scissors (laughs) and decides that he's gonna start removing things from your life because in the moment it feels like, oh God, this is just gonna feel like death. But I love that Jesus ends this conversation about pruning with this statement. After he's talked about cutting things off, throwing them in the fire, pruning you, all of this stuff, he says this, he says, 
I have told you this so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, Jesus says, I'm informing you that this cut is coming. I'm informing you that I'm gonna be removing all of these things in your life so that this joy will be established in you and not just established in you, but that it will be complete, which means it will be abundant, it will be full, it will be lacking nothing. Your joy will be so overflowing in this moment. How is this connected to joy, <laughs> right? How is having a God with scissors coming at you connected to abundant, overflowing joy in the middle of this? See, because here's the thing. When we are unwilling to abide in the spirit of God, to stay connected to him, both as the vine and the one who comes with the scissors to cut all the things out that are not gonna support us in moving forward, and we're unwilling to have him prune our lives and remove those things, things immediately grow stagnant. See, because here's the thing. If I was not to prune my roses this year, it wouldn't kill them. Actually, they would probably go on just fine like they always would. But their growth would slow down. And things would become less brilliant in the middle of this. I, w I wouldn't get as many roses, and the roses that I did get would be a little less brilliant. And then when you fail to prune the roses, all the energy gets sucked up into maintaining the growth that's there, and it actually starts sucking the energy into growing things that were never intended to grow there, like rose hips, which are these giant little red balls where the roses were. And all the energy gets sucked into all kinds of things that the rose was never intended to grow grow. In short, the rose stops producing. And in the same way, when we, are unwilling, when we are unwilling to abide in him and have him prune our lives, our lives start to slow down. We stop seeing the fruit in, the lives, in our lives around us. Our energy and our efforts become ineffective. It becomes unproductive. And we find ourselves stuck. In fact, most people, when they say, I find myself stuck in life, what they're actually referring to intuitively is there's an area of my life that God wants to prune and I'm unwilling to allow him to prune it. I'm unwilling to allow him to cut out this behavior, this attitude, this way of relating, this past, this lie, this habit. And so we find ourselves stuck in the middle of this. And when we find ourselves stuck, the fruit of joy is not able to fully grow. And so then we turn our energies and our efforts to something else. We start settling for happiness where we were meant for joy. And those are two very, very different things. See, happiness is not joy. There's a reason why those words are two different words. They're not just different words in the thesaurus. They come from actually very different root words because happiness is actually connected to the word happenstance or coincidence or luck or fluke. So happiness is connected to all of the coincidences that happen in our lives. And so we find ourselves happy because by chance, work happens to be going the way we prefer, we prefer it and we're happy now. We find ourselves happy that by luck we came across some extra money and now I feel secure, so I'm happy. Or we find ourselves happy because in a fluke, suddenly our relationships are healthy this week and so I find myself happy because things are working in the happenstance around me or we found a person or a substance that elevates our endorphins and so I feel happy and happiness really is all just a luck of the draw. 
of what comes up that week and where you wander into and who you find yourself with. So it would make sense that when we confuse joy with happiness, we assume that joy is just something that goes and comes like the waves on the sea with circumstances and people and situations as we enter into them and out of them. And when joy is some elusive thing that we're trying to figure out by luck how we get into that's when we get angry. That's when we get depressed. That's when we become entitled. Like, I deserve this because I need to be happy. I should have this because I need to be happy. Life should turn out. They should be this way. My spouse should. My kids should. My friends should in some way, shape, or form because I deserve to be happy. And when the luck changes, it seems like my happiness changes. And we find ourselves always wishing and wondering, where is this? And when we start to settle for happiness, what we do is we start living off of last year's growth. We start living off of what happened yesterday. We start living off of what has been. But Jesus says, I tell you all of this so that your joy may be in you and your joy may be complete, abundant. See, what he's telling us is that Joy is not a byproduct of happenstance. Joy isn't something that that some people have and some people don't or that you wander into sometimes or that by luck you find yourself in a circumstance that is joyful. Joyful joy is the byproduct of abiding and remaining in Jesus and knowing that every part of your life that is purposeless, that is pointless, that is underdeveloped, that is dead or dying is going to be removed so that your life can move forward faster when you are connected to him. And that's what he is saying. He, he says, look, leaving your, he's like, I want to leave you pruned so that you can actually grow into the next level that I have designed for you into the season that is in front of you. See, the reality is that Jesus is never attempting to diminish your, spirit, your experience of joy by pruning you. He is actually attempting to elevate your experience of joy here and now by pruning your life. He is attempting to elevate everything inside of you by inviting you to stop settling for the temporary happiness that you've been settling for and step into this foundational, lasting joy with a God who has come to shape your life into the form that he was created you to be. And when you're willing to step into that space with God, everything starts moving in a really, really powerful way. That there is this fresh new movement that he longs us to step into. You know what I find crazy? Is that the spirit of God is interested in elevating your emotional experience of this life here and now. Isn't that crazy? I mean, think about this. You would think that what God's most concerned about is like his commandments and keeping rules, right? Like he's like, I just, I just need you to keep the rules. I need you to obey. You would think that he's like all of just like, I need to transform your character and, and make you into the person that I'm. But in all of this, he's like, you know what I'm also interested in is how you're experiencing this life. That, that are you experiencing joy and peace? It's interesting that those two are a part of the fruit of the spirit. Because everything else seems like it's connected to everyone else around us. Like love is an external expression. 
Kindness connects to another person. Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control has to do with my relationship with others. But joy is really about my emotional experience here and now. Peace is about my emotional experience here and now. And yes, it leaks out to everyone else. But here's the thing. God is not interested in you sitting in despair and anxiety and hopelessness. What his hope for your life is, is that it would be defined by joy and peace. And that you would step into that fully. Here's the thing. I I find that people who call themselves Christians, this is a gross generalization. So, but they usually fall into one of two categories that I've just found in my life. One, there's a group of Christians who are just constantly miserable. They're just always angry. You know what I'm talking about, right? They're in the comment sections of Facebook, right? They're just always angry. They're always upset about something. And if they're not upset about someone, they're upset about some political decision or they're upset about some cultural thing. They're always just upset. They seem to be always angsty and angry and they're always frustrated with something. And they're either miserable at others or they're miserable about themselves or they're miserable about the world around us. And they say things like, just come Jesus, come so we can get out of this hellhole that we find ourselves in, right? And they're just, always in this frustrated, angstful space in life. And it's why when people talk about Christians, they're not often like, well, those are really, really joyful people. They're often like, those people are pretty intense, right? <laughs> but there's this, there's this other category of people that are like the, the rejoice in the Lord always people. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it seems like they're always, always, always over the top joyful, you know? Like something bad happens and they're just like, well, the Lord has good plans for that, right? These are the people when someone passes away in your life, they're like, well, the Lord gained an angel, right? And you're just like, yeah, right? <laughs> the, I mean, they mean well, but it's like everything has a silver lining and nothing ever goes wrong and there's no suffering and there's no sorrow and there's no hopelessness in life and everything's just like a bless your heart and rejoice in the Lord always and God has a plan and God's got this. I mean, look, those people are a little too sugary for me. And both categories, I think, do not represent what the scriptures are talking about here in this. The reality is that living in joy does not negate the sorrows in life. When we say that we are a people of joy and that we are to be defined by an experience of joy, what this doesn't mean is that we stick our head in the sand when things get hard or difficult or sorrowful. See, I think there's this idea that we are only ever to be joyful. And that is the only emotion that we are to ever experience or the only underlying foundational reality that we are ever to lean into. And I love this Psalm in Psalm 30 when David says this in Psalm 30 verse one, he says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies glow over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his name for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night and rejoicing comes in the morning. Now that should be a really comforting verse for you. That should be like, man, God is coming and that he is coming with something really, really beautiful. But the fact that joy comes in the morning does not negate the fact that the night sucked, right? 
The fact that joy is coming does not negate the fact that right now what I'm sitting in, I mean, he actually says I am in the valley of the dead, right? I don't think that when, when, when David wrote that, he's in the valley of the dead going, this is awesome, the Lord is coming, right? He's like, no, I, if you read David, he's, there are times where he's like, this is awful. I wanna die. Lord, if you would just kill me, that would be awesome as well, right? But here's the thing. The fact that the joy comes in the morning does not negate that the evening is hard and accepting that and addressing that is not wrong. And it is not digging your head in the sand. It is not not trusting in God. It's just reality. See, there would be no need for pruning in our lives if there weren't places that were toxic and painful and hard. And we live in a world surrounded by hopelessness and darkness and despair. And we are not immune as humans to the effect of that. We are not immune to the valley and the suffering and the hardship. And we are in this internal battle against darkness and hopelessness and destruction and moving towards joy. And it creates this tension, right? where we are called to be a people defined by joy, to have joy as the fruit from our lives, and yet we find ourselves in the dark night of the soul. We find ourselves in despair and sorrow and and anger. Look, I'm angry and sorrowful when someone I love dies, when you lose the job or when my kid is making really bad decisions or the relationship is dying or I'm overwhelmed by life. Sorrow is the natural byproduct of all of those things. And so what do we do? What do we do when we are called to live a life of joy and our life does not reflect any of that? Do we fake it till we make it? What does that look like? See, what I love about David and even about what Jesus talks about and what he models for us in the scriptures is that joy can sit on the bench right alongside sorrow. It can sit there as a really beautiful friend with pain. That joy and, and hopelessness and hurt and betrayal and letdown and disappointment and anxiety and fear and uncertainty, they can exist right alongside joy. And joy doesn't have any problem sitting there and putting its arm around a sorrow and whatever it is and say, I get it. But see, the the, the beautiful thing about the joy is that it's willing to sit there long enough to hang in the sorrow, to hang in the tension, to hang in the hurt, to hang in the pain. And the joy, all it does is it keeps reminding whatever else is there, hey, just remember that this is not the ending, that this is not the last word, that this is not the final statement, that I know the night feels hard right now, I know it feels like pain. I know it feels like death. I know it feels the betrayal. I know the betrayal. I know the hurt. I know the disappointment. I know the fear. I know the anxiety. I know the despair. And it's not over yet. And that is the powerful thing about joy is that it is perfectly natural to weep here and now. But joy reminds it that it does not get the last word. And joy can do that because joy is actually much bigger than an emotion that comes and goes with circumstances. See, Jesus, when he's talking to us about joy, just the next chapter over, he says this in John 16, 22, so with you, now is your time of grief, 
but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away that joy. See, that is such a powerful promise of Jesus. Is that, look, right now, I get it. There is sorrow and there is pain and there is suffering. But when I show up, you will have a joy that will be immovable. That no force in heaven on earth will ever be able to remove it from you. Jesus told his followers, things will get tough right now and you will have sorrow. But hang on, because I am coming, you will rejoice again. And no person, no circumstance, no amount of lack or money or fear will be able to remove this joy for you. And this is why joy can sit right next to anything else. Because the joy can say, look, I know you're going through it, but I get the last word. And I am immovable in your life when you are connected to the spirit. Because here's the thing, joy can say that because Jesus has come for you and he is coming for you and he will be coming for you over and over and over again. And in that, everything gets removed from your life that needs to be removed. He comes in and says, I'm gonna take this away and I'm gonna remove this and I'm gonna prune this and we're taking this away because this is purposeless and this is dead and this isn't supporting you and this has been really helpful last year, but it's not gonna be helpful for you next year. We're removing that. And in that process, everything starts to be redeemed. Everything is made new and there is this lasting, steadfast joy that removes moves in the sea. If you are on a search for the next thing that will bring you joy, if you are on a quest for the next person that will bring you joy, if you are on a search for the next circumstance that will bring you joy, you will be searching for eternity. You will just find yourself constantly, constantly searching until you surrender to the one who is saying, look, I would love to come and bring steadfast, unending joy in your life. A joy that has no problem sitting on the bench next to any other emotion that you're having and just whispers into its ear, you don't get the last word. It's all right. It's okay to weep, but you don't get the last word. See, I I am convinced that God is like a joy aficionado. He, He just, he loves, he loves joy. He loves to see his children and his people and he loves to see humanity infused with this experience of joy that God is never, ever, ever, ever attempting to diminish your sense of joy and satisfaction and brilliance in this life. I know sometimes God gets this bad rap like he's always, he's like, what's the fun stuff in life? Yeah, let's just hack all that away, right? What's the stuff that's like really enjoyable? Let's make all that not allowed, right? But the reality is, is God is saying, his mind is on, how do I increase joy? How do, how do I make joy so brilliant that the people that are connected to me would be so overwhelmed with that and they would be elevated to levels that they could never imagine possible? And it starts with releasing our need to entertain ourselves and keep ourselves captivated and keep ourselves distracted by all the things that make us happy and step into the steadfast joy that he has for us. See, I wonder if we never actually experience the fullness of the fruit of joy in our lives because the moment that things get painful, the moments that things get sorrowful, the moments that things get despairing, we just uproot and we head for whatever feels good in the moment. 
Whatever's gonna give us that temporary feeling, endorphin, joy, happiness to get out from under the sadness. But here's the thing. I believe that if we stay rooted in the spirit and we just come to God with everything and we don't run and we don't say I'm out and we don't say like, hey, I need to go find my thing and then I'll maybe we'll come back. That if we would just stay rooted knowing that a savior has come and that a savior is coming and that a savior will come in the midst of any circumstances that we find ourselves, we might experience a height and depth of joy that the scriptures describe as our strength, that we might become strong as a result of being people who are defined by a life of joy. What if we allow joy to be the new, real, deep human experience? And that any other experience, any other experience of hopelessness or angst or despair or darkness, we'd actually just say, oh, that's super shallow. But God's actually interested in taking you into a deeper human experience that is filled with a foundational, unending, immovable joy that can sit next to anything that comes your way. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you, you long for us to be infused, filled, moved by joy. God, and that it goes way beyond just a feeling of happiness. It goes to this deep foundational understanding that you are with us, that you are for us, that you are moving through us, and that you are, God, that you are pruning what needs to be pruned, and you are engaging what needs to be engaged, God. And this morning, I wanna pray for the people here in this room or that are online who feel uh, stuck without joy. Maybe you came in here this morning and you're like, man, joy feels elusive. It feels like something that comes in and comes out and like it's here for a while and then it's gone. With your eyes closed, if that's you, if you're like, man, I feel like I'm struggling just to hang in with joy, would you just raise your hand? and say, I could use like an infusion of joy this morning. If you're online, you can just type the word joy. I just wanna pray for you this morning. Jesus, I pray for every single person in this room who is struggling with stepping into the fullness of joy. God, I ask that you would even just now whisper in their ear the things that you're longing to, to prune within them. God, the things that you're calling them into, to step into to fully experience this foundation of joy. But I ask God that this week as they choose to abide in you, as they choose to connect with you in a new way, God, that, that this joy would spring up within them that would be so strong and so palpable that it would even be shocking, God, this week. And this morning, if you're here and, and you've not yet connected to Jesus, this is like a new conversation, or maybe you've been away from him for a while. If you're online and you recognize, man, I, I've been, I pulled my roots up. I'm like that Mandarin tree and I'm just dying over here. That, that, that God wants to redeem all of that if you would be willing to make him Lord. Lord just means, hey, I surrender to you. I give you everything. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me here or online. Why don't you just pray, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am broken and I know that you came and you died for me. And I believe that you were raised from the dead 
that I confess that you are Lord. I give you my life. And would you fill me with your joy? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.